Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Routine podcast. Now this is where we chat to an author about their daily working routine, dead simple, to try and pick up some tips and tricks for ourselves. Now today, our guest is the crime and thriller writer, Mark Edwards. And here we chat about what it's actually like to work as a full-time writer, tightly in the hours that the kids are at school. Uh, Also, how he tries to add something supernatural into every book. And we find out how every now and then everything about a story becomes abundantly clear a lot of the plot just kind of arrives it was really it was amazing and i kind of wrote out the synopsis very fast sent it to my agent and then and then i wrote the whole thing in three or four months and it was just so easy really easy the next book follow you home i mean i was literally rolling on the floor almost crying in pain because i couldn't get the plots to work and I couldn't get the, the story to work. So stay there, that's all on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. Hello, yes, it is Writer's Routine. My name is Dan Simpson. Uh, thanks for being there, by the way, for the first show of 2018. Is it too late for formal well-wishing? I mean, I haven't seen you in a few weeks, so why not happen? Happy New Year! Love doing that, by the way. (laughs) I'm going to eke that out until at least July. Anyway, thank you so much for coming back for a new year. And if you've just found us, welcome along. I've kind of already spelled out what the show's about, but if you have just clicked play, let me go through what we do every week so you know what you are definitely, absolutely subscribing to, right? Every week, we chat to an author and a creative about their working day. We try and find the intricacies, the eccentricities, the idiosyncrasies of their daily routine. So, who knows, it may help us out with our own writing and success. Now, today we're chatting to the crime and thriller writer, Mark Edwards. He's published seven books on his own, uh, co-written a further six as well with Louise Voss. And they're all mysteries, crime thrillers with a touch of the supernatural about them. Now, he's a full-time writer as well. He does this as a proper day job, which is incredible. I just love that authors, uh, kind of me, hopefully in the future, possibly one day, they make money, they pay the bills, have a family... Uh, living out their dreams, writing stories. It's fantastic. It does have its downsides, though. And we'll chat to Mark about what it's like trying to cram a full day of writing into the silent few hours that the kids are at school. 
Now, when you listen to this show, if you're enjoying it and you're learning some nice hints that will help you with your own writing, please do me a favour, right? Leave us a review on the iTunes podcast store. We're trying to take writer's routine to new heights in 2018, you know, hashtag new year, new me and all of that. So yeah, find us on the iTunes podcast store. Leave us a few nice words and five stars. That would be fantastic. Also, in a little bit, we'll get the top 10 tips for writing from some of the greatest writers who have ever lived. So make sure you don't miss that. First, let's get into our chat then with this week's guest, crime and thriller writer Mark Edwards, who starts with a big recent change to his writing routine. I've only recently got my own office because I used to just work at the at a tiny desk in the corner of our dining room in my old house. But now when I sit down, I have quite a large office which is a converted attic and um, I've got a big desk which is made out of this reclaimed oak which I bought on Etsy a very lovely desk (laughs) I've got a huge iMac which um, I treated myself to a couple of years ago I've got some framed records on the wall in front of me I've got a Lana Del Rey album and um, I think I'm, I change them around all the time. I've got the Stranger Things soundtrack hanging in front of me as well. It's, Do you I'm, listen to music while you write? Yes, yeah. Talk me through that then. How does it affect what you write? Do, do you find yourself, uh, you, you maybe need pacier music for, for more action-led sequences? Um, well, it's more like when I'm writing a book, I'm trying to capture a particular atmosphere and I'll tend to listen to the same artist or the same album even, over and over and over again while I'm writing. So, for example, I I mean, I listen to a lot of Lana Del Rey because it's got that kind of moody, noir feeling to it. And And it's quite kind of slow and atmospheric. And um, so I will listen to her albums kind of on a, on a loop sometimes when I'm writing because I find that as soon as I put them on, it gets me into that that space in my head. And then the last book I wrote, I listened to lots of Depeche Mode, so like old 80s electronic stuff and something about his voice and the kind of the, the synthesizers. And I was listen, mixing that in with a Stranger Things soundtrack as well, which is very electronic in 80s as well. And so something about that kind of helped me get into the atmosphere of the book. How did you develop this system then? How many books were you through before you kind of realised that music was so important for you, getting into the frame of mind yeah, probably, of what you were writing? Probably two or three. And I before that, I would just listen to whatever my favorite albums were at the time and when spotify came along and you've got this this access to the entire history of music i'd sometimes find myself sitting spending more time flicking through spotify trying to find something to listen to than actually than actually uh than writing and now i i have um a record player sitting on my desk so i'm listening to vinyl as well and that's actually quite good because it makes you get up every 25 minutes and turn the record over and it it forces me to stand up from my desk and 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 uh, kind of get the cramps out of my legs (laughs) so the show is called writer's routine Mm. Uh, let's do that part of it then talk me through your day Uh, from the moment you wake up to the Mm. moment you go to bed uh, on a day of writing because you are a full-time writer yeah yeah well I work Monday to Friday I pretty much keep office hours and I work between the two school runs so I've got three children under 11 
aged four, six, and 10. So the first thing I do when I get up is deal with them, our dog and our two cats. They all need to be fed and got out the door. Um, my wife and I take, my wife who also works from home, um, we take it in turns to do the, the morning school run. And then after I've had a couple of coffees, I will go up to my office at about nine, nine thirty. Um, I will work through the morning and that's generally a mix of writing and all the admin that goes around writing. Often I will take the dog out for a run around lunchtime. We've got a golden retriever who needs like an hour's exercise at least. Um, and then I'll come back and work until about 20 past half past three, which is when the children get home from school. And then as soon as they get home from school, the house is filled with noise and activity and it's, um, it's very distracting. There's also the fact that I am only really able to work creatively and create stuff that has the energy and, and the kind of meaning to it that I need in sh quite short bursts. So if I try and work for more than five or six hours a day, then I'll just kind of run out of steam and run out of energy. And so doing quite short days works well for me. Are you writing nonstop in those five, six hour bursts? No. Or do, do, they, do they come in 90 minute chunks? How does that work? They, it's all a bit sporadic based on whether I get distracted by things like social media, <laughs> whether I've got lots of other things to do, like answering emails and dealing with... Because when you're writing a book, you're also always having to deal with the stuff that goes along with the last book that you wrote. So there's promotion and replying to emails from the publisher and, and checking things and tweeting about it. And so, so I'll kind of try and mix those things in during the day. And it, all, and it depends on what stage of the book I'm at. So at the beginning, when it's, it's slower going, and I'm, because I make it up as I go along, basically, I'm a pantser there'll be a lot more time spent kind of staring into space or wandering around or um, doing displacement activities at the beginning of the book. Whereas, at the, I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm like two days away from the end of a first draft of, of a new book. And um, so I'm right, I'm, I'm getting faster and faster as it's going along and I'm spending more time actually concentrating on the on the book i wanted to get it done before the schools break up for christmas <laughs> so i set myself this target i started writing it when they went back to school in september and i, I need and i said i need to get the first draft finished by the time they break up for christmas so i'm 86 87,000 words in i've got two chapters to write so I will do one chapter tomorrow and probably one chapter on Thursday and then it will be, and then that will be the first draft done and then I'll take a break for Christmas and come back to it in the new year. If you've got a self-imposed deadline, yeah. how are you making sure that you're sticking to that? Have you allotted a certain amount of words a day, an amount yeah. of pages or chapters? How does that go? Yeah, I have been making myself write 2,000 words a day and if there's a day when I only do 1,500 for something getting in the way of my some life thing getting in the way which often happens I write 2,500 the next day um, and have to be quite strict with myself about that that I stay 
at my desk until it's until it's done. The last book I wrote, The Retreat, which is the next one that's coming out in May, I made myself write 3,000 words a day. And I actually wrote the first draft of that book really fast in about eight or nine weeks. Firstly, because I knew exactly what was going on in that book and I didn't have to keep stopping to work out what was going to happen next so I was able to write faster um, but also because I had this this other uh, deadline that I'd set myself that I needed to get it finished by a certain day earlier in this this year but I haven't been able to keep up that fast pace for this one but I've been doing 2,000 words a day which is still why have you gone into this book knowing a lot less about what's going on than you went into the the, the last book that you um, were in the retreat well because yeah some of the books I will start off with a very vague idea of what's going to happen I'll have a central premise um, or a hook and I won't have any idea of what's going to happen at the end. And I will sit down and work out the backstory first. And then from there, and then I will write the the novel in the present day. We're kind of, we're going back to the flashbacks to the backstory. And only as I'm writing it, can I kind of chisel the story out of the stone? I guess it's kind of there. Like imagine a block of stone and the story's in there somewhere and you're chiseling away at it, trying to get it out in its perfect form. And some books are like that and others just kind of arrive in a, like a vision that comes down from above. <laughs> and they, can, they seem to alternate. So one book, so like one of my old books, for example, Because She Loves Me, which is the second one, which is about a jealous girlfriend the whole thing came to me at once the the title the premise and a lot of the plot it just kind of arrived it was really it was amazing and I kind of wrote out the synopsis very fast sent it to my agent and then and then I wrote the whole thing in three or four months and it was just so easy really easy the next book follow you home and the one after that, in fact, The Devil's Work were both... I mean, I was literally rolling on the floor, almost crying in pain because I couldn't get the plots to work and I couldn't get the, the story to work. And But actually, I think that those books, the ones that were harder to write, were better than the ones that preceded them that were, that were easier. And I think maybe that's because I was getting more ambitious and trying to make them... And then with, with The Retreat, I felt like that was the first one where... I had the ambition, but it also felt quite easy is the wrong word, but I knew what I was doing and I kind of had that vision of how it was going to go. And I, and I knew exactly the theme of the book and what I was trying to say. We'll get more routine chat from Mark Edwards in just a sec and stay there. Next, we'll hear the top 10 writing tips from some of the 10 greatest writers in history. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome back to Writer's Routine. Now, very quickly, before I get into those promised tips, let me just remind you of all the ways that you can keep across what we're doing on the show in 2018. You can give us a follow on Twitter, we're at Writer's Pod on there, which is really handy if you want to see me retweet any morsel of praise that we get. Also, we're on Instagram. It's dead easy, Writer's Routine on there, where you can get teaser clips and videos from the podcasts, and you can see some live stories as well from some of our interviews. And you can also find all the ways to listen to us, and you can get in touch with the show over at writersroutine.com. And remember, if you are listening through iTunes, I'm sorry to bang this drum again, but it's really important. Please do give us a review on the podcast store. Just get on there, type in writer's routine, uh, write a few nice words of your own, creatively and floral prose, I expect, with all the help that you've been given from authors on this show. And five stars as well is really helpful for the chart. I promise it's dead simple. Just find Writer's Routine on the iTunes podcast store. Now, this was sent to me by Vicky. So thank you very much, Vicky, over at writersroutine at gmail.com. You see another way that you can get in touch with the show. And it's a Guardian article from very early on this year. It's called Top 10 Writer's Tips on Writing. Now, it's written by Travis Elborough. This could not be more Writer's Routine podcast. And I saw it and thought, I just need to share this with you. Now, the first one comes from Hilary Mantel. It says, a little arrogance can be a great help because the greatest thing a writer can do, she says, is to cultivate self-confidence, arrogance, if you can manage it. So you always keep believing in yourself, which is handy. I'm sure many people would argue that I don't need any persuasion to be even more arrogant. The second one comes from Leo Tolstoy, who says, pick the hours that work best for you. He always works first thing in the morning when one's head is particularly fresh. Uh, and most of his best thoughts come in the morning while still in bed or after a little sunrise walk. There's another tip from William Faulkner, who says, read to write. Read, read, read everything, he insists. Trash, classics, good and bad, see how they do it and absorb the best parts of their work. Then there's Catherine Mansfield, who says that writing is better than doing nothing. So she thinks if you're sitting around procrastinating, just write, just get out there. We've heard so many times on the show so far about the vomit draft. Put it down, you can always fix it later on. Ernest Hemingway slightly disagrees. He says you need to stop while the going is good. So stop while what you're writing is the best that you've done and don't worry about it until you start working the next day. He says that your subconscious will always keep working on what you've been thinking about and it can only get better. Uh, Let's see, John Steinbeck is number six on this Guardian article. He says take it a page at a time. 
He thinks that you should abandon the idea that you are ever gonna finish. Don't think of it as a 400 page novel. Think of it as one page at a time of a story and it can only grow. Miranda July, she's got quite a big one here, number seven. She says, don't worry about the bad drafts. She says that just get it out there. Again, the vomit draft. She says, get that first draft done and then it's kind of like Play-Doh and you can work it and it's malleable to what you want to do with the rest of the piece. F. Scott Fitzgerald, I think we've heard him in Distinguished Diaries before, right near the start. He says, don't write and drink, which is kind of rich coming from him. Uh, He says, it's become increasingly plain to me that the very organisation of a long book or the finest perceptions and judgement in time of revision do not go well with liquor. Again, rich coming from everything we've heard about him so far. Zadie Smith, the newest author I'd imagine on this list, uh, says, get offline work on a computer that is completely disconnected from the internet. I think we could all sometimes switch off Spotify and stop looking for instrumental, motivational film scores and just, you know, get back to the writing. And finally, this is absolutely the best one as well. It's from Muriel Spark, who just says, very simply, get a cat. If you want to concentrate deeply on some problem, she says, and especially on some piece of writing or paperwork, you need a cat because the cat gives you great satisfaction. It will settle down. It will be serene with you. Its presence alone is enough, she says. The effect of a cat on your concentration, Muriel Spark thinks, is remarkable and strangely mysterious. So there you go. Ten tips from the ten greatest writers uh, from this fantastic Guardian article, by the way. Uh, it's called Buy a Cat, Stay Up, Don't Drink. And that is really all you need to learn about. If you're having trouble, remember, stop drinking, switch off the Wi-Fi, and maybe take a trip to pets at home. Right then, let's get back to our chat with crime and thriller writer Mark Edwards, who's taking us through his writer's routine. And we found out how sometimes the books just appear to him fully formed with everything in place, but others kind of don't. And I was wondering, really racking my brains about what makes a Mark Edwards novel a Mark Edwards novel. So my books always have something in them where there's a hint that there's something supernatural going on and then there's a rational explanation for it. That's one of my things that I always do. And when I first conceived this book, I was going to go all out supernatural with this one. So the original synopsis was there's going to be a supernatural reasoning behind everything that's happening. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So I started writing the book thinking there's going to, that a ghost is going to do it. And then thought, no, I need to find a rational explanation. So the whole challenge around this book has been what's really going on? Like who is actually behind all this stuff? How much of writing is a battle between you having to work at something mm. and kind of consciously think about what you need to do rather than a romantic idea of, of telling a story. What happens is before you, well, this is with me and I think it's the same with a lot of writers, you have this romantic notion of what it's going to be like to be a novelist, especially a full-time novelist. It took me a very long time to get to that stage where I'm, I'm able to write full time, like 15 years or something ridiculous. I mean, most of those unpublished, but even like the first two or three years when I was published, I was st- I still had a, a day job or I was freelancing. What were you waiting for then? I don't want to be crude with the details, mm. but what are you waiting for before you make the decision to turn full time? Is it simply... So- oh, it was money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Financial. When What happened was, I mean, when I mentioned Because She Loves Me, the... the 
that was the first one that I wrote full time. Maybe it was a kind of burst of euphoria that I was finally <laughs> full time that helped. That Maybe helped it's a panic that. that you think, well, I, I've, I've well, got yeah, to kind of validate of, my existence and yeah, pay for things using this. I was, better get them done. It was, yeah. And also I had a very tight deadline with that book that the publisher had given me that I had to write it in four or five months. Um, whereas they give me longer now, they allow me more time to kind of um, roll around on the floor, banging my head on the carpet. <laughs> they, were whip, they were whipping me more, more um, aggressively before to get the books out faster. As a full-time writer, you're relying on yourself, obviously, to come up with ideas to simply pay the bills. How much of that... Do you have a system with coming up with an idea that you can use uh, to, to write a story, or are you simply fingers crossed praying that the muse strikes um i am nearly always thinking one or two books ahead so for example now as i'm approaching the end of this book and when i say this is i'm nearly at the end i've still got two months worth of rewriting before it even goes to an editor and after that there'll be lots of rewriting as well so this book won't be completely done until next spring or but I am now in the back of my mind working out what's going to happen in the next book. And I also kind of know what's going to happen in the book after that. I don't think I've ever been in a position where I didn't know what my next book was going to be about, or at least what the, the central theme or hook of that book was going to be. And how are you coming up with the central hook? Are you, is it simply a question that you're asking yourself? Oh, wouldn't it be interesting if um, this happened they all and come this happened? From, they're all completely different. So, for, so my first few books were all based, they were all influenced by things that had happened to me. So Magpies was about Neighbours from Hell. I'd had Neighbours from Hell. The Jealous Girlfriend thing, Because She Loves Me, that was based on something that I'd, I'd gone through when I was younger. Um although she wasn't actually a murderous psychopath like she is in the book. <laughs> Folly Home was based on a time when I went interrailing around Europe and got robbed on the train and ended up stranded in the middle of nowhere. And that um, became the seed of an idea. That's really, I want to know what happens now, but I'm going to have to read the book. <laughs> I feel, yeah, well. I feel you can just tell me the story, but I'm going to have to yeah, pick it up. I, and um, yeah, that was a really, that was like a gift really. It was, it was terrible at the time, but it gave me a great idea for a book. Years, I mean, years later, my editor said to me, well, you need to, you need to think of some other, more terrible things that have happened to you that you can turn into books. And I suddenly, and I thought, oh, now what about that, that, that time when I was robbed on the train when I was 20? And, and I kind of moved the location, but it became the inspiration behind that story. So then what happens there? So you know that you need to write this book about you being robbed while you're interrailing. How yeah. are you then fleshing that out to make a, a 300 page novel? Well, the first thing I had to decide was where it was going to happen. And I chose Romania because I thought of the kind of creepy... There's, there's no vampires in this book, but people kind of think, oh, it's trans, it's tra it happens in Transylvania in, in the middle of a dark forest. And, and I was also kind of playing on that idea of, there was lots of stuff with Nigel Farage and horrific people like him on the radio talking about Romanians coming over and stealing all of our jobs and our women and all this, all this crap. And I thought, well, there's, I wanted to create some... <laughs> Eastern Europeans who really were scary. <laughs> so I decided to set it in Romania. And, uh, and it was from there that... And I just had this, like, this vision of this couple being kicked off the train in the middle of nowhere. 
So the book starts, the first 10,000 words is they're on the train, they meet some people on the train, something happens and they get kicked off and they've, and they've lost their passports, they've lost everything and they, they have to walk down this railway track through the middle of the forest at night and there's these kind of feral dogs behind them like making them go in one direction and they see something in the in the woods and then it cuts to like months later and they're back home in London and this traumatic thing has happened to them they've seen something terrible and they vowed never to speak about it and they've split up because of the trauma that it's caused and I wrote the first and then all this weird stuff starts happening to them in London and they start to think something has followed them home but I was like 30,000 words into the book, maybe more, before I even worked out what they'd seen in the woods. I was basically blagging it, I guess. And how <laughs> was... did that become clear to you? How, how did you discover what they found in the woods? Was it a moment of inspiration? Did you have to sit down and mind map what actually could be going on? Um, I didn't mind map it, but I, I sat down and... I can't actually remember when I had the breakthrough. I think what I started to do was was write the scene where they walk through the forest and they see this big house because I'd hyped it up basically in the start of the book. If it wasn't something really horrific, readers would be disappointed. So I had to kind of I had to come up with something really strong and really scary. So I was trying to think, well, what's the worst thing that I can imagine that could be going on in that house? And that's, and that's what they see. You would think, wouldn't you, that it would be easy by now that I would have a kind of formula. But what actually happens is every time you start a new book, well, for me anyway, I feel like I've forgotten how to do it and I have to discover it all over again. And I've talked to a lot of writers and lots of writers are the same. But having said that, there are certain elements that will crop up over and over in my books. So, for example, the main character will always be quite an ordinary, everyday person. And because my hook is that I write scary stories about... Uh, sorry, I write about scary things happening to ordinary people. That's that's my kind of mantra that I stick to every time I try and come up with a, come up with a story. They're not like heroes or action heroes or or people with amazing professions they're just ordinary people like you and me and then there will always be like i said before some kind of hint that there's something supernatural going on there will always be a couple at least two twists at the end so there'll be the kind of big reveal and then there's always like a another twist in the last couple of pages those are the bits that are really hard to come up with and they nearly always come right at the end um almost as i'm writing them the final tw- if if you if you come up with a really good final twist right at the end it's it's a really amazing amazing feeling and in fact i know i'm sort of jumping around a bit but the the, the book that i'm writing at the moment where i'm a few thousand words from the end I only worked out yesterday how it's going to end. So I had no idea what was going to happen at the end of this book. How much do you need to rework what you've already written with that now? Well, so yeah, I will now have to go back and there will be things that I've thrown in that I will now take out because they don't work anymore. And there will be bits that I'll have to go back. So I'll have to put in some 
clues for the reader and and some red some new red herrings and things so with this book i don't think it's going to require that much um editing because although i hadn't really worked out exactly how it's going to end i did know who'd done it (laughs) at least I think it's quite important that you know who done it at the start. Otherwise, you can get yourself. And I have tried to write books before. I didn't know who done it, and you get yourself in a terrible, a terrible mess. Or I've changed my mind at the last minute, and then you have to go back and rewrite, rewrite loads, because you suddenly come up. You can be like eighty or ninety thousand words in, and suddenly think, "Oh, that would be an amazing twist if this happened." And then you have to go back and do quite a lot of surgery on the early early chapters. But it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. Oh, that is it. The end of another Writer's Routine podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And also, thank you so much to Mark Edwards. You can find links to all of his work uh, on my website, which is writersroutine.com. It's kind of funny. I caught Mark a month or so ago now on a flying visit to London of his. He lives in the country somewhere. Right before he headed out to a crime writer's Christmas lunch. And the next day I chatted to another author who went to the do with Mark as well. And it turned out that it extended way beyond a simple Christmas lunch. The stories that he refused to tell. Uh, That was Derek Farrell. And he's on the show next week. So make sure you're back for that. And as always, give us a follow on Twitter. It's at Writers Pod on there. Instagram, you can get us Writers Routine and have a look what we're doing throughout the week and all the ways that you can listen and get in touch with the show is at writersroutine.com. And remember, as always, please, if you can, leave us a review on the iTunes podcast store. And I'll see you next week with Derek Farrell and another Writers Routine. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.